Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. It's Adam Justice. Today on part one of a two-part episode, we dive into our second annual version of what smart home products Richard has in his home. And then, of course, on the next episode, we're going to do mine. This time, Richard's going to give us an update on what has changed in his home since we last did this. We want to give you, the listeners, a feel for what we use in our daily lives, maybe give you an idea or two of products you might want to enjoy and add to your own home. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Smart Home Show. It's Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey, Adam. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Today, we're going to revisit the stuff that we're using in our smart homes, the smart technology that we use. And in this episode, we'll talk about what I've added or changed in my home next time. We'll talk about what you've added and changed in your home. All right. Looking forward to getting the update on this. So uh, before we get started, though, we have a question for Richard to open the show. So Richard, question for you is, uh, what kind of car do you drive? You mean when I drive a car anymore these days? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of car do you take to the grocery store? <laughs> so I am really fickle with cars. I think I've only ever had the same like manufacturer of a car twice in my entire life. And it's kind of my goal to just try all the different brands in my lifetime. I I currently have an Audi A7, which is actually a car that I've wanted probably for a good decade now. And I just couldn't bring myself to spend the money. And eventually I found an, uh, an, an old lease deal that I ended up converting into a sale that ended up still being very beneficial in terms of a price. And I decided to pull the trigger on it about two years ago. So I... I have that car right now, and like I said, I don't really drive it a whole lot anymore, which is kind of sad, because it's a fun car to drive. That's the hatchback one, right? It is. Yeah. It is. And if you recall, it was really one of the first hatches, certainly one of the first sport hatches, to kind of make its way back in the U.S., because... We had this period, this awkward period in the 70s and 80s where hatchbacks kind of became passe because they were so ugly at the time, and then nobody wanted a hatch, and eventually I felt like Audi really did it right when they came out with theirs. Yeah, I really like that model, and I have a friend who has that one as well, and if I didn't have three children, I would say that would be a good candidate for a car for me. Yeah, that would be a tight fit yeah. with... Uh, three children. They would have to stay small permanently. 
Yeah, that already that already hasn't happened. So my ten year old is a small man. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what are you driving? Then? I have had for the last uh, three four years uh, an Audi Q7. So also in the Audi family. So we kind of traded who got to get a new car, and so. Uh, I had my fun car before we had children, and when we had fewer children, I had drove a BMW 3 Series, and then when it was my wife's turn, we bought her a Q7, and we sold my 3 Series for that, and I drove um, her Murano for a while, and uh, I was stealing her Q7 all the time, and I loved driving it, Um, so when they came out with the new kind of body style for that um, I got that. So, and recently made an upgrade to it from uh, a recommendation from our friends at the Icon Garden. I added the AirPlay wireless AirPlay adapter. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Car to air, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. We can throw it in the show notes, but uh, it's pretty cool. It works pretty well. Yeah, I'm yeah. a fan. I'm I'm really tempted by that. I don't have AirPlay. I don't have CarPlay in my car. But my partner has CarPlay in uh, his car, and I've wanted to get that to test it out. But he has less patience with technology that isn't perfect than I do. And I have heard that it has some quirks, that sometimes it just doesn't work or it needs to be reconnected. And I don't really want to put him through that. Actually, I don't want to put me through him going through that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to start the show and uh, submit a question for us to open the show with, uh, you can send that to us on Twitter using the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. All right. So I'm going to do a lot of talking, but I hope, Adam, that uh, you're interested enough that you'll ask me some questions about this because I don't want this to end up being just a monologue. (laughs) But we're going to start off with... Stuff that I've added or changed in my home over the last year. So when we last talked about what was in our homes, we kind of went through and looked at it from the perspective of, okay, I use this for lighting, this for security, yada, yada. And this time, I'm really just going to look at it as incrementally what has changed. And one of the things that has caused me to change things in my home, besides my own kind of... um avid love for smart home technology is that sometimes companies stop making stuff. And one of the services that I was relying on to tie my disparate ecosystems together was Stringify. Stringify was kind of like IFTTT on steroids. It gave you the ability to create extremely complex flows and logic to control multiple devices based on multiple conditions. And that's something that, to date, IFTTT's production version for consumers does not let you do. So I loved this product. I didn't really love the user experience, but it was very powerful. And I had it as a way of tying my Insteon technology in with other things going on in my home. Well, Comcast bought Stringify about two years ago, three years ago, something like that. And not surprisingly, they eventually shut it down. They use the technology within their Xfinity offering for smart home stuff, but they have 
shut down the consumer-facing Stringify app and service. So I was left without a way of tying all my things together. And I ended up instead moving a lot of that stuff to SmartThings. Have you played with SmartThings much? Not since the like super early days. I had a SmartThings hub like right when it first came out and played mm. around with it. But I would say it's never been in, in production in my home. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Well, it had never been in production in my home either until I lost Stringify. And so I started looking into third-party like independent developer integrations for Insteon devices. I found one out there that sort of worked, but didn't really work with the new... Uh, development environment, so I tweaked it a little bit because I do have I, I can code just enough to be dangerous, and made some of my Instian stuff appear in SmartThings so that then I could tie in some like Hue and Instian and other device things all together, so that they, you know, things like if my Ring doorbell rings, then I want an Insteon light to go on, or I, I want my hue light to change a certain color when a certain Insteon switch turns, stuff like that. So um, that's worked out pretty well. If you know anything about what's been going on at SmartThings, they have been migrating from the old SmartThings app to the new SmartThings app, and this migration has been going on for about two and a half years now. They're finally going to shut the old one down, and I don't really know what's going to happen to this when they do that, because the plugin that I have was designed for old smart things. So we'll see what happens when that occurs, but I might have a solution for that that we'll talk about a little bit later. Another product that I had reviewed long ago was a product called Stack Lighting. I loved Stack Lighting, and I don't know what you remember about this product, Adam, but this was a light bulb specifically for overhead lights. It was a BR30 that had all kinds of sensors in it, and it was white tunable. So based on presence, based on time of day, based on the amount of light in the room, it would automatically turn on to certain levels to a certain white color temperature. And it would just do it completely automatically. And you would tell it what time or what kind of room it was in. So if it was in a kitchen or an office or a bedroom, it would behave differently according to the kind of light that you would need there. I loved this product. They pivoted their entire business away from consumer products, and now they make sensor and lighting systems for elder care facilities, which is a great and, and wonderful thing. But I liked their consumer product. Right. <laughs> and, and somehow their app and services still have not shut down. But I knew that the time was nigh and decided that I needed to finally move away from this. So I replaced those bulbs with some Philips Hue white tunable BR30s and set up some HomeKit automations by uh, a, a developer that we know, actually, um, a developer who had uh, written up on his blog ways that you could use HomeKit to change the light level and color temperature depending on the time of day. 
And this worked out pretty well for me. It takes, just for four different colors, Adam, it takes eight different automations, which is wow. just ludicrous. Because you have to handle different times of day and different colors. And then you also have to handle the possibility that you want it to change, not just when it hits that time of day if the light is on, but when you turn a light on, then you need it to change to the right color temperature depending on the time of day. And those are separate things. So it's complicated. Hopefully this will be made simpler by that new feature coming in iOS 14. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and so I'm really looking forward to that capability of lighting. Now, I also had a sensor in the mix. Originally, I was trying to use a hue sensor that wasn't working out as well as I wanted it to. So I switched to a different device for that that I'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Now, another thing that I had discussed with you when we had our show about outdoor lighting was the Hue Lily lights. I don't remember. Do you use Hue Lilies? I do not. And I, I, we may have talked about it, but I don't recall um, what these are or what they do. Yeah, so these are basically their garden lights. So they're outdoor lights that are part of the Hue system, and they're designed to add accent color lighting just, you know, like as a, a fence or wall washer or uh, on garden plants and stuff like that. I originally tried to use them in my backyard to replace spotlights that I had pointing up in the trees, and they were terrible for that because they're just not bright enough. So eventually, I ended up moving them to the front of the house. I actually did that around Christmas time because I wanted to be able to throw some colored light on the front facade. And that's actually worked out pretty well. But what I found is that I couldn't support the distance that these lights were, like, from how they were positioned from where the rest of my hue stuff was in the house. And this is Zigbee, so it has to be, like, 30 feet from the the last repeating device. Yeah. So I ended up cheating. And I bought some inner smart plugs. And I don't, you know, this is kind of like Homebridge. This is one of those products where I don't know how they're getting away with it, but they are compatible with hue they just they're they can't actually work with HomeKit, but they do show up in other integrations so you can buy these smart plugs that are like they're they're not friends of hue they're not part of that ecosystem but they work with philips hue and they're extending your mesh most importantly and the only thing that they are doing like nothing's plugged into them the only thing that they are doing is acting as repeaters to extend my mesh. And I ended up buying some of these for a friend who was similarly having problems with the same lights, with the Lily lights. And I would argue that maybe, just maybe, the folks said Signify should maybe consider a way of helping to boost the signal for outdoor lighting. That inevitably, it's going to be further away from your other hue stuff. So I kind of feel like they should be working that into that product, whether it means including extenders or somehow amplifying the signal or receptors or antenna for those particular devices. I don't know, but it needs to be better than it is. Yeah, I think this is a good example of where Zigbee and Z-Wave mesh is not 
mass consumer friendly because if you're struggling with this, you know, normal people have no hope. Right. It's really hard to convey to somebody through the app or whatever what's going on. All they would know is, uh, you know, this isn't working. Yeah. They see this unreachable status on all their devices, which, you know, would confuse most people. I think I've talked in the past about how I use an iPad mounted on my kitchen wall, kind of as a controller for Sonos and smart home stuff and as a weather station and things like that. This was an old iPad mini 2. It had close to no memory and it was really starting to show its age, particularly as OSs and apps were getting upgraded. So I decided that I was going to finally pull the trigger on a newer iPad mini, which for some reason is still ridiculously expensive. Like I just don't understand why the iPad mini is as expensive as it is. I think it is more expensive than the entry-level regular iPad now, which makes no sense at all. But I found an iPad mini reconditioned, uh, an iPad mini 4, and decided to buy that. And I'm like, great, all right, so I'm probably going to have to get a new, or I'm I'm just going to pop it in the mount that I have. Nope, nope, nope. It is three millimeters bigger than the old iPad mini three and I had an iPad mini two, two and three didn't change, four changed. Of course it did because, you know, sell more covers. So I figured, okay, then I'm going to have to go buy the new mount for it. They don't make flush mounts anymore. I had an iPort mount and you can no longer buy a flush iPort mount. And they never made one for the Mini 4. They stopped after the Mini 2 and 3, which is unfortunate. They have like this physical thing that sticks outside the wall. And it's a nice design from the perspective of installing because you just put it on a regular single gang box. Whereas I had to cut out a hole that was the size of this whole iPad mount thing in my wall. But I wasn't going to plaster that over and start over again. So I got out my utility knife and started hacking at the plastic in the mount of this thing and managed to shave off just enough plastic that I could forcefully shove the new iPad mini in and it fits not perfectly, but it's good enough. (laughs) That's good. So if anybody has one of these mounts and they're looking to upgrade their iPad that's in it, just be aware. This is not as easy as it might be expected. It's possible. It is possible. It is possible. What was the guy, Tim the Tool Guy? I felt like Tim the Tool Guy, you know? I had to kind of, you know, hack my way through to get something to work. I've never been a, like, I've never done the wall-mounted iPad thing, but uh, maybe at some point I do see, like, the use case for it. And thinking a little bit about iOS 14 and widgets, I think widgets are going to be really awesome for a wall-mounted iPad, just for to be able to get rid of the crufts, you know, have a quick kind of dashboard just focused on a few things that you want to do, show weather, you know, stuff like that. I think that'll be a killer app for that kind of device. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Now, you may remember that I mentioned 
in the past that I didn't have any smart locks on the main house. I only had a smart lock on my garage that I was using as a tester. And I've been resistant to do this. But at the end of 2019, looking forward into the new year, as my business was starting to ramp up and I had a lot of conferences planned for the year, I knew I was going to be doing a lot of travel this year. So I put the money in to have a Yale Assure lock installed on the door that the dog walker uses because I wanted to be able to make it really easy for them to come in and out. And every once in a while, I need a neighbor to pitch in or something like that. So I, I it was just getting complicated worrying about who has keys and if I'm away, how do we manage this or that? So this was not an easy task because I have mortise locks in my home. So that meant that we needed to do some carpentry in the door. They had to take the lock out, put some wood blocks in the place where it was, kind of redrill and start over to install the new lock. But it works really well. I'm very happy with it. I bought the August connection kit for it. The thing that's really cool about the Yale locks is that you can decide what kind of radio you want in it. Do you want it to be uh, Zigbee, Z-Wave, Bluetooth, or... Do you want it to work with the August technology that Yale acquired? And I chose the August tech, which is nice because that works with HomeKit. It works with other stuff in my home. And I that I just, I'm really, really pleased with that so far. Problem is, after CES, I've been home. <laughs> Best laid plans. <laughs> so, you know, this was a product that I... I literally bought this product out of need, not that, hey, it'd be cool to do this. Like, I was resisting doing this, and yeah, I just don't need it now. Someday. Yeah, you got it now, and it's useful. I mean, I'm a big smart lock proponent. I don't know. I'm not intimately familiar with the Yale Assure. Does it have a keypad on the outside? It does. My requirement was that I wanted a keypad and a keyway. So... I, I didn't want to be in a position where if the batteries were dead, you were kind of out of luck. You couldn't get in. You had to use a different door or something. So I have a keyway with a key <laughs> that's different from all my other keys because it's not compatible with my other locks. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, my guess is you're never going to use that key. I didn't even put it on my key ring. I don't carry a key ring. I carry my car keys now. And if I could get rid of those, I would. The less keys, the better. <laughs> I do carry some keys, like, for the office or something in my, my work bag, but that can become problematic if I don't have that. To me, if it's a door you use often enough, you'll know if the batteries are going... The Schlaglock that I have uh, does something really cool uh, that I thought was pretty genius. It actually starts working poorly when the batteries need replaced. So it starts being slow and loud and degraded performance on purpose so that you notice it. Yeah, that's a good idea. I just actually literally replaced the batteries in my lock yesterday. And so... I don't really see that as a problem. And at least for me, there's enough other ways to get into my house that I don't mm. foresee that as ever being an issue. But 
keypad is a must have on any smart lock. And for me, that's the biggest use case, even more so above and beyond all of the all the Bluetooth stuff. Um, the other thing for me is it's all about the notifications. Um, having that HomeKit notification for every entryway in the house is really, really nice to me and yep. kind of a must-have. So I very rarely actually use the Bluetooth radio. It's either you know the the input from the the keypad or just the notifications, but that's well worth it for me. Yeah, there's an option to use, I think, geolocation and Bluetooth on this lock or something. It it figures out some way to determine whether it should lock or unlock automatically. I don't do that. It's easy enough for me to touch the keypad and just open it like that. But it, it is available through HomeKit, so I could open it that way, but I don't really do that that often either. All right. Um, another thing I think we've talked about in the past is the Elgato Eve Extend. And this is a product that Elgato came out with to help boost the range, again, of products that didn't have a large range. And all of the Elgato products have been Bluetooth-based. And their range, particularly in their first-generation products, was terrible. Really, really bad. So I decided to get the Elgato Eve Extend, add that in, and see if that would help. And lo and behold, it solves the problem. So basically, this is a Wi-Fi to Bluetooth bridge. And I think the way you and I have discussed this in the past is this is a great one-off solution. Unfortunately, it only works for Elgato Eve products. Yep. Uh, Apple pulled the rug out on us and Elgato on the whole uh, HomeKit Bluetooth bridging thing, um, which was unfortunate. But I understand, you know, that HomeKit went a little bit different direction and and has the the hubs that are in, you know, Apple TV and HomePod. And so they didn't really want third parties doing that that bridging. But, yeah, I mean, I think for, for Elgato being so dependent on Bluetooth, in some products, I think, too dependent on Bluetooth. I, I don't understand why you would ever put Bluetooth in a, a wired product like a light switch. But uh, that's what they do, and that's what they're all in on. And so um, for them, this felt like a, a must-have product. Yep, and it solves the problem. It's just frustrating that I have to have yet another box plugged in somewhere. Luckily, it doesn't need, like, Ethernet. At least it works on Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I, I think probably the the most fun thing that I've put in the house recently, and not technically in the house, outside the house, is a set of twinkly lights. And twinkly here is a proper noun. It's a brand name. It is not an adjective. Although they can be twinkly as an adjective if you want them to be. So this is a product that came out, I think, about two or three years ago. And I remember Stacy talking about these on her show last year. And I shook my head in, I don't know, kind of disregard, thinking, why would you spend that kind of money on a product that you don't know if they're going to be around? I have recommended to people to not put money into connected Christmas lights, because who knows 
if they're going to be around in a couple years. And then you've spent all this money on something you can only use once a year. Christmas lights also, to me, just feels like something that is constantly failing and needing of replacement. So putting a ton of money into them when they can be kind of fickle is is debatable. Yep. I agree completely. But I'm a sucker for a sale. And at the end of the Christmas season last year, my local nursery had all of the twinkly lights in with the other 50% off stuff after Christmas. And I thought, well, maybe I should try it. So I bought a set and they sat in a cabinet for a while. And eventually I thought, you know, why don't I actually, instead of using them at Christmas, why don't I put them out on the deck railing? We always have lights out on the deck railing kind of seasonally. So they'll be whatever colors are appropriate for the season. And a lot of times it's just white, which is still nice to have lights out there on the deck. And so I set them up. It's kind of a weird setup. They're they're a split run, so the power comes in in the middle because they're designed to go on a tree. So you'd actually have like two strands that come up from a central point. So I had to figure out how to extend the power out to the middle of the deck and then extend them out from one end and then to the other end. But they have replaced the lights that I had out there. And what's really cool about these, if you haven't heard about these lights, is that these are individually addressable lights. And you can either select from patterns of motion or colors that are used in the lights, or you can draw them on yourself in their app. It, it's really freaking cool. Very cool. Yeah, I I think they would be cool to play with. And um, if I would have gotten a a 50% off opportunity, I probably would have pulled the trigger too. Yep. I might have to buy more after next Christmas. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Uh, The only other thing that I've added uh, just as a basic product is more Nest Protects. We have Nest devices around the home, so I've added a bunch of Uh, additional nest protects to that ecosystem uh, smoke and co alarms so they're always good to have around you might have bought these at the same time i did but they went on sale on costco or something for a two-pack and i picked up some more um, to replace some failed ones Uh, i was gonna say cool until you said failed ones that's unfortunate. What What's that about? Well, we're not talking about my house today. We can save it for oh, okay. when we talk about my house. All right. We'll talk about that next time. All right. So, um, so that's it for products. But I would also say that I've taken on a bunch of projects around the house. And I'm thinking, Adam, we're probably at a good halfway point. So maybe do you want to... Do you want to take a break right now? Sure. Let's take a quick break. Uh, and when we return, we're going to talk more about Richard's house. All right. So in addition to adding to some products around the house, I've taken on things that I think are kind of uh, requiring more effort on my part. Stuff that took like a day or a couple days to put in place. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. One of the things that we've been wanting to do in our breakfast room, which is all glass and gets really hot during the day, is 
to get some motorized shades so that we could have them stay closed during the hotter times of the day, open up automatically during the day. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with these types of things or not, Adam, but they make these types of shades called solar shades that actually allow you to see through them to some degree. And they, they have like different percentages that you can see through. And Hmm. I think we ended up getting like, we can see through 10% on one exposure. And then on the Southern exposure, we can only see through 5%. We're on water. So I hate the idea of just blocking out the view entirely from the kitchen. Right. And this allowed me to handle being able to block out some of the heat during the day while still being able to enjoy the view if you were in that room or in the kitchen. I looked around for a lot of different products, and ultimately I ended up buying kind of generic motorized shades from an online retailer called Select Blinds, selectblinds.com. I've purchased a lot of slatted blinds through them that I've hooked up with the My Smart Blinds kit. So I knew that they had good products, and I bought one just to see if I liked it or not. And it comes with its own remote, so it's not connected to anything. You can buy a bridge that's ridiculously expensive, like $200 or something like that, and then it lets you use it with your assistant. But I didn't really, like, I I wanted that, but I figured there had to be a hackier way. There's a hackier way! So if you listen to my show, Home On, you may have caught an episode where we spoke with the makers of the Bond Bridge. The Bond Bridge is a product that can record RF signals from a remote and then regurgitate them on demand and allow you to control things like blinds, ceiling fans, fireplaces, Basically, whatever you have around your home that's using an RF remote to control it. It's a really cool product. This is one of these cases where a bridge makes complete sense. It solves a big problem that a lot of people who are trying to build a connected home have if they have one-off solutions. So as far as that goes, do you have to be, like, how close does the bridge have to be to the devices it's controlling? So they say that it can go way further than I have it from my devices. I have it in the same room. Yeah. But they say that it can control things across rooms or in different rooms. It's just not going to be as strong a signal, but... I think, you know, your your mileage is going to vary just like any other RF signal. I think the thing that you should check is if your RF remote that you have can work from a certain distance for that product, then in theory, their their bridge should also be able to work that far as well. That makes sense. Uh, and what does Bond Bridge connect to as far as ecosystems goes? So it can connect to... Your Amazon ecosystem, it can connect to your Google ecosystem, it can connect to smart things. I believe they have an IFTTT skill, if I remember correctly, and they do not yet have a native way of connecting it to HomeKit. So you can't use Siri 
to open these anymore. But I basically just set up a schedule in SmartThings. It's a schedule based on the sunrise. I know that you know, from the sunrise, certain number of hours later, I want to open one set of blinds and another certain hours, a uh, couple certain hours later, I want to open the others. And then I close them all at 11 at night and we start over again the next day. Works really well. I also can use my echoes to command it to turn on. Now, what I have found is that just like the remotes themselves, which you don't really think about because if it doesn't work when the first time you press the button, you just press the button again. But just like the remotes themselves, it's not 100%. Hmm. So what I've had to do is I have a routine that I use with my echoes where I tell it to open a certain set of shades and that routine tries to open them three times in a row. And right. I mean, just, I, I just had to have some redundancy in there to make sure it worked. Uh, and uh, you know, anybody who has an RF controlled anything, whether it's a ceiling fan or whatever, you're, you're familiar with this problem. Yeah. But uh, it, you know, it is what it is. When it's automated, you just expect it to work. <laughs> so, so I had to do a little bit of work there. But I'm really happy with this. It, it, it's a good solution. And more importantly, my partner's happy with it. That's what matters. <laughs> exactly. I really wanted to be able to try the IKEA shades. I had said, hey, let's wait until IKEA comes out with theirs. I went to Ikea to try and buy one to test it when I was testing different shades. I couldn't get one. They didn't even have them in stock. They were like sold out. And then when I did a little bit more research and saw that they're only available in an exposed roll with a silver finish and they're all gray and they don't have colors out yet. I'm like, okay, no, I just, that's not going to work here. I, I, I need this to fit the decor and not be, putting something in here that I know he's not going to like. Glad you got it done, and it, and it works. It does. All right, so next project, I have been wanting to put some under-counter and under-cabinet lighting in, and I've been looking at light strips for this. And, you know, this is pretty common. I think you can find a lot of homes now are using light strips under their cabinets instead of the really, really hot halogen lights that are normally installed under there or the otherwise usually tacky fluorescent fixtures that are installed under them. I don't really like that that cooler light that you're going to get from those in my kitchen. So I ended up testing a bunch of different light strips and I ultimately ended up using the uh, Philips Hue Lightstrip Plus. I tested this against Singled, Sylvania, a bunch of different generic strips that you could buy online, and just nothing has the brightness and the light consistency that I could find as Philips Hue and had as much compatibility with all the different ecosystems. So kind of a, a number of different requirements there. Now, the thing about doing this right, particularly if you have granite or any other sort of glossy countertop surface, is you don't just want the raw strips there because they will reflect on the counter and you're just going to see a bunch of little lights on the counter, which can be glary or annoying or just it, it seems kind of 
you know, just not finished properly. So I also found channels that you could buy at Amazon specifically designed for these things. Hmm. And they they make them so that they have a diffuser. You put the, the you actually paste the or or stick the light strip in the channel, and then you slide a diffuser over it that's maybe a quarter inch or a half an inch, depending on the one that you bought, away from it, so that you get a nice, or at least a more even lighting feel out of it. And it kind of solves that little light spot problem. Interesting. Yeah, I need to do this. Uh, we have a bunch of like broken under cabinet lights. And uh, we just need to, I need to do this. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to uh, refer to this when I decide to finally pull the trigger. For the first one that I did, I put it under our breakfast bar. And we never had any light under there, but the dog bowls are under there. And I figured it'd be nice to have just some light against the cabinet under the, the breakfast counter and, and onto the dog bowls and stuff like that. So I, I set that up first and that was kind of tricky there was electric in the breakfast bar so i had to figure out how to you know get the wire in and tap into an electrical outlet there and i had to put another box in like above a drawer in one of the cabinets so that it would it would all fit in there but i eventually got that done i had to buy my own kind of transformer because i wasn't going to use the the little plug thing that you would normally ha- use when you plug in a strip of lights. But again, Amazon, they have all this stuff. You can, <laughs> So I just needed a 24-volt tri- uh, power converter or LED driver for this thing, and it, it works fine. So I'm really happy to have that in there. The ones that are, in, that are under my cabinets are going to be a little bit more complicated because they have a combination, meaning that it's not consistent from cabinet to cabinet, a combination of either 120 voltage or 24 volt power that's already been transformed up in the attic. So I'm going to need to do a little bit of work to swap out the old power converters with LED drivers to the 20 the low voltage wiring that's in there, and then I should be able to put the strips there. So I have not finished this project yet. Another thing that I I did in the kitchen was replacing other low-voltage lighting that was in the ceiling. We used to have these halogen spots, these little, uh, I don't even, I think they're an MR11, if I have that right, like tiny, tiny little halogen spots that you might even see in like an outdoor uh, garden light or something over the cabinets, like kind of putting light on the cabinets. And these are all controlled by, well, they were controlled, unfortunately, by three separate light switches. So that's the first problem. And they were all halogen, so it was using more energy than I wanted them to. I tried to put LED bulbs in them, but it didn't work well with the transformers that were there. So I swapped, I went into the attic, figured out how this was all wired, swapped out the old transformers with new LED drivers, and ended up rewiring how they were switched so that most of them are off of this one switch. But it's still a regular old switch, like a regular old toggle that's in a gang with a bunch of other switches, like the you know, like double switches where you have two switches in one gang. So it's not something that's easy to make smart. 
Right. And this is the first time I've ever used a microcontroller, a micro switch for a normal light switch. And if you haven't used these before, these things are like magic. They end up converting a regular switch by sensing when power is on the line. And then they take over and they switch it on or switch it off. But they also like send out the signal that, okay, this has been switched on or switched off and they can be controlled remotely. Interesting. So the switch basically becomes now a three-way or a multi-way switch. doesn't matter if it's on or off because it can be toggled on or off either through software or from the switch itself. Really cool product. I used one from Instian. Small problem. With Instian's on-off controller, there is a known issue with it where every once in a while, it will sense a slight voltage variation that's from somewhere else in the circuit and think you just turned the light on. Huh. So every once in a while, my kitchen lights go on on their own now. So <laughs> I, I, do, I do know the, a fix for that. You can use one of those LED bypasses that you can buy from a bunch of different vendors. Lutron sells them. Aon sells them. And I need to put that in line with this sensor. But... Uh, that that kind of threw me for a while. I'm like, huh, well, that's going to be a problem. But the fact that you can just use a regular old switch and make it smart is just fantastic. Nice. Now, this is not a real smart home thing, but I guess it's a smarter technology thing. My basement, like most basements, fluorescent tubes everywhere in the utility area, in the storage areas. And so I've gone through the process of replacing is uh, the fluorescent tubes with LED tubes. And unfortunately, I don't want to have to rewire them. So I'm just using the kind that use the ballast. So it's not the most energy efficient that it could be, but it's a little bit better than fluorescence. And it's a much nicer light than the fluorescence we're giving me because I don't have to wait for them to warm up. And it's just a, a more even light that I'm very happy with. And then the other thing that I did was that I replaced the switches. There's a switch at each end of both rooms down there. And I replaced them with motion sensors, motion sensor switches, actually, just regular old disconnected maestro motion switches from Lutron, which are their mainstay. I mean, this is a fantastic switch. It senses micro motions. So just a tiny, you turn your head and it's going to make sure that it turns the light on. It's really, really good sensor on this thing. And let me tell you, having the lights come on automatically when you enter the basement is just kind of awesome. That's true about lots of different places. We can talk yeah. about that more when we talk <laughs> about my house. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. Speaking of replacing LEDs, I've been getting away with, I think I'll I'll put it that way, and only because there are finally some bulbs that look good now in this use case. I, I am slowly replacing light bulbs that are in chandeliers, and by that I mean actual chandeliers, not like chandelier-style things with globes, but exposed bulb chandeliers like in a dining room and stuff like that. The house that we have has a couple of those. So I've been finally replacing those bulbs with 
LED filament bulbs, and they look good. Uh, it you know you can buy a bunch of different types now. I bought a, a style that unfortunately isn't available anymore, but instead of just like the the filaments kind of all vertical or maybe twisted a little, they actually have a filament that's bent like a V that looks so similar to a filament that would be in a normal bulb, they're hard to tell apart. So I, I'm really happy with how that looks. Uh, because they're LED bulbs and they're on dimmers, I had to, get, again, get one of these bypasses. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, when you put LED bulbs on a dimmer, sometimes they just don't work properly because there's not enough power being drawn by the LEDs that that the dimmer needs to function properly. And when that happens, there's an easy fix to it. It's it's just called a bypass. Lutron makes one, Aeon makes one, uh, Fabaro makes one, and you connect the load and the neutral with this bypass, and it makes it's basically a resistor. It just makes sure that the dimmer always sees the minimum amount of voltage that it needs to be able to draw from the line. Hmm. Okay, good hack to know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then finally, in terms of projects that I've been doing, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this in a future episode, so I'm not going to go into too much here, but I finally pulled the trigger on something that I have been resisting, and frankly kind of, uh, I don't know, bad-mouthing. For a number of years now, I finally set up HomeBridge in my home. And I did this using a system called Hoobs, which is insanely easy to set up. Like One of the reasons that I have been turned away from Homebridge, besides the fact that I still believe that if Apple wanted to, they could make this not work in a future release of iOS or, or whatever, is that you had to put it on a Raspberry Pi or on some server somewhere, and you had to do command line stuff. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Hoobs came out with this thing where you just... Basically, download this file, put it on a card, throw it in a pie, and it works. It's on. It's It was crazy easy. And so I'm using that to tie stuff in like Nest and Ring and my Chamberlain MyQ stuff. And most importantly, this alone is worth all the time and effort and cost. I can now program my Pico remotes to do any damn thing I want them to do in my home. Yeah. So like you said, we're going to save deeper discussion of this (laughs) for a future show where we're just going to talk about Homebridge. I also just pulled the trigger on... I went the other route. I just bought the hardware from Hoobs directly. You invested in hardware that Apple could brick at any moment if they wanted to. Yeah. So we can talk about the easy way and the the DIY way when we when we talk about that more. But yeah, that should be coming soon and before hopefully I'll have some experience before we talk about it in depth. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I've I've been impressed. I've been very impressed and you know, my takeaway from this is if open source developers can make this stuff work in their free time, 
why the hell can't these companies? Yeah. I, I know that there's a whole lot more to certification and everything. I know. I totally get that. But this just shows the art of the possible. And it's impressive. It's really impressive. All right. Well, let's kind of shut down here with a review of stuff that I have been looking at for review purposes. And, you know, last time we talked about this last year, I mentioned that I was testing the Baldwin Evolved Lock. I had that installed, I think now, for almost two years. I always do long-term reviews of stuff. Two years is ridiculous. Two (laughs) two years is way longer than most people would uh, even use a product, let alone review one. And that was not my intent. But the problem with the Baldwin Evolved was it wouldn't work consistently. I had problems with this lock. Partly it was that it it just wouldn't connect to my phone. Partly it was it was range issues, like it, it wouldn't sense when I was there. I have had a lot of battery issues. I think this thing just eats batteries. But with the latest versions of iOS and the latest updates to the lock, they finally have this solution really, really stable. So I hope they don't give up on it now because it's now at a point where I can recommend it. Evolved is Baldwin's incarnation of Kivo. It is Kivo. It's just built into Baldwin locks. And my whole house has Baldwin hardware. So this was really the only way that I was going to get a smart lock on anything in the house when I first started. And I'm really really satisfied with it now this works very well with the ability to give out keys to people you have virtual keys that you can share the the you know the hardware is baldwin hardware so it's solid my only complaint with this thing now is that it it eats batteries i i think it's supposed to be three months it seems like two months yeah that's pretty often to be replacing batteries in a lock yeah so that's frustrating but you know, it looks good. It serves its purpose. It it gives me no key access and no thought access, really, uh, to the garage. So that's a good thing. Also, I was testing the Harmony Express. Harmony Express is a remote control that has Amazon's Assistant built in, on board, on the remote. Interesting idea. Terrible implementation. Apparently, it did really badly. Because Logitech has already canceled the product. At the end of August, they're going to shut it down. If you have one, it's going to be a really pretty glossy coaster. So you can, if you bought one, send it back if you have proof of purchase. And they'll send you the Harmony Elite, which is a pretty good remote. It's their flagship remote. Or they'll give you your money back or a portion of your money back which is the right thing to do here. This is not like the black eye that Harmony or that Logitech took when they canceled an old Harmony product that had been out for six years and they decided not to compensate people for it because come on, six years. Right. Come on. (laughs) No, that's, that seems like the right thing to do by people uh, since it's such a recent product. Yep. But this was just not a good product. This was another one that I didn't want to talk about yet and I didn't want to review yet because it was poorly conceived. It was one of these things where design trumped functionality 
and they decided that, sure, we can have a remote that only has nine buttons on it. No problem. That'll work just great because we have the assistant. You can use your assistant to change inputs. Ugh. Yeah, no, didn't work well. All right. Uh, still, I still use the TiVo Bolt that we were reviewing and um, have now the TiVo Stream as something that I've been reviewing. And uh, I still am reviewing the, well, not reviewing, but uh, but still using the HD Home Run Servio. That's a great product. I'm really happy with that. That is a network tuner DVR solution kind of all built together. The The only thing that I don't like about that is if you use HD Home Run's own DVR software, it's not pretty. It's just not a pretty experience. They keep trying, but it's not really very good. But it is really good as a tuner and as a storage device if you already have other HD home run stuff around. So, And then just kind of on the horizon, new stuff that I'm testing. I'm testing a new switch from Oro. You probably haven't heard about this unless, again, you listen to Home On and you heard my interview with their founder, Colin. Oro Switch is, um, well, think of brilliant but done right. So this is a touchscreen on the face of a smart switch, but it all fits into a Decora faceplate. So it's a smaller surface. They're not trying to do as much on that surface, but it has all kinds of sensors. And by the way, it behaves like a switch. You can still press the top of it and the light will go on. You press the bottom of it and the light will go off. And I mean press. It has a fulcrum point. So it behaves like a rocker switch, like you would expect it to. Additionally, though, it has an electronic slider on it, and it can do crazy cool things like control smart bulbs. So you can connect this switch to a smart bulb. It You tell it it's a smart bulb. Right now it only works with you. And it will keep the power consistent, but send the commands associated with dimming your smart bulb. Really cool. I'm very impressed with this switch, it has motion and sound switches, uh, sound sensors in it to detect presence. It has light sensors in it to adjust dimness. This, in combination with the Philips Hues, and unfortunately still the uh, the HomeKit automations, is what I am now using in my kitchen. Interesting. So this does not do white tuning now. But stay tuned. Okay. I'm very impressed with this product. It's expensive. It's about a $150 per unit product. It's cheaper in quantity, but it's a, it's a very nice switch. And they're coming out with a more traditional switch, which Brilliant also is doing as well, but a more traditional switch that will work in tandem with this switch in your home. So I, I, I'd keep an eye on this company because I think this is a, a very cool product. 
It's very well designed. The installation experience is amazing. They have great instructions. It comes with all the little pieces that you need, including like it's designed to be able to stick the wires right in it, but it also has pigtails that you can use if you want removable ones that you can put in if you want to just tie it to existing wiring with wire nuts. They did such a good job with this product. I'm really impressed by it. Also testing my smart roller shades, less impressed by this product. This is from the company that made my smart blinds, which is something that I love. My smart roller shades is not quite as good. It doesn't have any sensors on it to sense when it's too hot or anything like that, which is one of the things that my smart blinds does to close automatically or or reopen. And you can set it up with timers, but you need to use a new app, not even the existing app that they already have. So it's separate from your MySmartBlind stuff. And again, you have to connect it to your ecosystems with their bridge. Oh, and by the way, you can't use the same bridge that you used for MySmartBlinds. I don't know what this company is thinking as they're productizing this stuff. They're just making... Either they realize that they have technical debt that they need to move away from and they're just communicating that poorly or they're making poor technology decisions from product to product. I don't know what it is, but it's frustrating to me because I think their MySmartBlinds product is a really good product. But as far as integration, this company just doesn't get it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I've been testing the new Ring Solar Lights. If you haven't already bought these, if we're not talking about these... In our next episode, then I'm going to put some pressure on you because they've done a good job with this stuff. I'm really happy with these new products. I'm just waiting for like uh, Amazon Day or whatever when they go on sale and then I'll then I'll pull the trigger. But I, I bet I've had my eyes on these for a while. Yeah, that's a good idea. This is basically next gen of their path lights and their uh, step lights and they're now solar and they're just as bright as they were before, but they're not as glary. They did a good job with this redesign. I'm very impressed. They also have a floodlight, which is part of their ecosystem. So I'm testing that as well. You know, some some sensor in their ecosystem detects motion. You can have just your average floodlight that's already built into your eaves turn on because it has a smart bulb that's built into the ring ecosystem. It's a smart product. Uh, really impressed with that. Also testing out the Abode IOTA security system. This is this was the first HomeKit-enabled security system. And it's pretty slick. It's a nice standalone system. It uses the software authentication method that we've talked about. It's one of the only other products that I know of that uses that. Uh, first out of the gate, it seems like they didn't talk to any other developers on how to do that. In a user-friendly way, it was rough, but it's it's a slick product, and I like the abode. I like the abode products in general. So this is something I'll be talking about more in the future. And then finally, testing out the Philips Hue Smart Button. It's just a tiny little round thing. You can adhere it or use a magnet to put it up on the wall somewhere, and you just press it. Turns on things in your smart ecosystem. Works with Hue, works with HomeKit, thinks its battery is always dead. I mean, actually, it doesn't think its battery is always dead. It thinks its battery is 
always about to die. It always reports that the battery is going to die, even though it's fine. Brand new batteries. There's a known problem. Must be something they can fix through firmware, but it hasn't been fixed yet. Very weird. But nice if you just need a little button to turn something on. So that, that's a lot. But that is what I have been up to in my smart home. And a combination of stuff that I've added to the house itself and things that I'm really just trying out that probably won't be full-time additions to the house. Yeah, it's a good update. So yeah, I look forward to doing this every year and hearing what changed. And um, we'll have to throw in the show notes the the episode where we uh, went through your house previously. So if uh, someone's new to the show, they can go back and, and listen to that one as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. Adam, do you want to uh, read our listener question this time, and then we can talk about our ideas for an answer here? Sure. So Paul wrote in and said he would love to find a hardwired Z-Wave smoke detector. Uh, He's seen battery-powered ones, but not hardwired. Seems like a no-brainer to have stable power via hardwire. Any suggestions? (sighs) Uh, I don't know if you know of anything, Adam, but in my research, I turned up nothing. I'm not aware of anything Z-Wave particularly, no. Right. So probably the mainstay Z-Wave smoke and CO alarm is the Z-Combo alarm from First Alert. It, it It's a well-known alarm. It has a good track record, but it's battery-operated. Now, the good news is that battery smoke alarms are required to last 10 years now. So it's not like you have to replace this any more frequently than you would have to replace a regular smoke alarm. Because, news alert, most people don't know this, you're also supposed to replace a smoke alarm every 10 years regardless of how it's powered. Yeah. So this might answer your needs if it's something that you would consider, if if that hardwire isn't an absolute for you. Another thing that you could consider, potentially, depending on how you want to integrate it in your home, is that the first alert one link does come in a wired version. This is the one that was originally released to be HomeKit compatible, but it now also works with Amazon's ecosystem. And by works with, I I don't mean that it's going to send alerts to it, but you can do things like turn the light on or ask the status, ask the battery, stuff like that. But this will this will tie into HomeKit and it will tie, tie into Amazon stuff. So it really depends on how you want to use it and what ecosystem you're using. That's all I found. Now, I did get one more recommendation from uh, our friend Seth Johnson at the Home Tech Podcast. And he recommended a product that Kitta puts out called the Smoke Alarm Relay Module. And this is essentially a device that you put in line in the wiring that then allows you to connect another wired device in line like a low voltage dry contact sensor that could be Z-Wave based. 
so that you could, when it triggers, have a Z-Wave signal sent to your Z-Wave system Hmm. and do whatever it was that you wanted to do with that. That's cool. What I don't know is if it only works with KIDA-wired smoke alarms. And I also don't know, do you really want to mess with the power line going into your smoke detector? Yeah. I have to wonder if this is even something that would pass code. Yeah. I think the other thing I would throw out there, too, is for Paul, really think about why you want it to be Z-Wave. I, when we first moved into this house, I was very invested in the Nest ecosystem. And then, you know, as I wanted to do more and more with HomeKit, I moved away from that from a thermostat perspective. But my Nest Protects have remained as kind of an island. And when it comes to smoke detectors, having it be on an island is not really a big deal for me, at least. If you really think long and hard about that and you figure out, yeah, it doesn't really need to be Z-Wave, that would obviously open up your choices to a lot more different options. And even though I have had some issues with my Nest Protects, I would still recommend them. And there are a lot of things I do like about them. Um, So I would throw that in the mix if you're willing to consider some other radio technologies. And if you have a smart home question for us, you can, of course, uh, send that our way using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this somewhat long episode. These usually are long because we play with a lot of different stuff in our homes. I'm looking forward to the next one, Adam. I can't wait to hear what you've been up to. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Justice and see everything my company's up to at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me at the Digital Media Zone or on Twitter at Richard Gunther. The Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of tech-focused podcasts, including Home Tech, The Food Tech Show, and my other show, Home On. And you will find all of our show notes and details about our episodes at smarthome.fm. And if you have a question for us or you want to get in touch with us, you can send us messages to feedback at smarthome.fm. Find us everywhere you find your podcasts. And if you like it, do us a favor, tell a friend or send us some stars. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks.